This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hey, intertractional listeners. Happy holidays. Yeah, it's uh, it's that season. Happy whatever holiday or not holiday you're celebrating. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> um, Merry Christmas. We're releasing this a day early. Happy uh, Kwanzaa. Sure. Happy pagan darkest night of the year. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're a little bit past the winter solstice, uh. but happy solstice. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So we released it a day early so you could listen to this while you're traveling. Yeah. And also you can tell all of your relatives and people that you're visiting back home about it. Spread the word. I mean, you will you never know which cousin or uncle also likes Star Trek. I am continually surprised by how many people are into Star Trek when I tell them what it is that I do. So we have a just like a bit of housekeeping for this episode. Yes. Um, we have a guest. Her name is Molly Sanchez. And she is one of the co-hosts of Red All Over, a podcast about The Handmaid's Tale. Um, but we love this podcast and we love Molly. She's fantastic. Uh, we should hang out with her again. Truth. However, their podcast ended <sighs> like between the time that we recorded this episode and now when we're releasing it. So we're sad that there is no more read all over, um, but we're excited to see what Molly and her co-host Kelly do next. Yes. Um, So we'll be following them on Twitter, and you should too. Their Twitter handles are at SeriousMolly and at KellyAnakin. SeriousMolly is... Spelled the way you would expect it, and uh, Kelly Anakin is spelled K E L L Y A N N E K E N. Um, they're really great, they have active Twitter feeds. Yeah, with that said, we hope you enjoy this episode at least as much as we enjoyed making it. Yes, it's a Christmas miracle. Also, donate to us, that would be a Christmas miracle. Yeah, paypal.me slash federation and fempire paypal.me slash federation and vampire you can do it send us a christmas gift two jews <laughs> hi everybody <laughs> hi ryan hi becca hi molly hi thank you for having me oh my god you guys we have a guest today molly is uh the co-host of red all over and a writer and comedian we are very excited to have her here red all over is a podcast about the handmaid's tale you guys should check it out it's really really funny thank you pleasure to to be on this one this is a much less stressful show than the handmaid's tale (laughs) yeah we love star trek because it's like happy endings for everybody always yeah Mm -hmm. as much as one of the things that we do in this podcast is point out the ways in which star trek is problematic (laughs) at least at its core of its soul it says that there is hope in the universe and one of the reasons that i don't really watch the handmaid's tale is i'm not convinced that the handmaid's tale has that message no i definitely don't think it does have that message at all but definitely worth checking out our podcast right all over (laughs) indeed i 
I have watched literally two episodes of The Handmaid's Tale, but I have enjoyed listening to Red All Over. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Well, happy to be here. So today we were talking about uh, women in boxes. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, women as cargo. Molly, you were like, I really love... Harry Mudd. Oh, I love Harry Mudd. I'm so, I was so bummed because I think I said in our initial correspondence, like, Mudd's Women is like one of my favorites. And I was wrong. It's I Mud, which is the later episode in TOS. Is that the one with like the sexy robot? Yes, it's yes. so good. It's so, it's like your classic logic off, um, both Harry Mudd and I love Rain Wilson mm. as Harry Mudd in Discovery. Mm-hmm. So Same. it's a Star Trek character. I am so fond of TOS is my favorite. Star Trek yeah. version anyway. Oh, I'm so curious about that because I really love TOS and I feel like it has the most issues from a feminist perspective. Oh, yeah. And I've met a lot of people who are like, I can't even watch it. Like, I have to turn it off. It's too cringy. It's such a hard sell because there's very weird lenses to look at women through. There's weird lenses to look at race through. But in almost every other argument, I hate this line of reasoning, but... For the time, TOS is incredibly radical. Like, literally, it has the first interracial kiss on TV ever. Now, problematic because it is a forced interracial kiss. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, yeah. that's messed up. And yeah. there's, like, an effect. I think it's called, like, the Nichelle Nichols effect. As a result of her being on the show, more black and brown women went into aerospace. So it's, like, you cannot deny the tangible impact yeah. of TOS. And it's, like, it totally. is not progressive by our standards, but was just like heads bending back progressive mm-hmm. for the time that it's in. I have no choice but to stand. Like that's incredible. <laughs> that's so cool. And on a different level, like they predicted so many things that we use. Technology. Now. They yeah. predicted pneumatic doors. They predicted mm-hmm. like flip phones. They mm-hmm. they predicted so many things and so many of the things that they talk about in those episodes is really good sci-fi because it's stuff we're still wrestling with now. Like my mm-hmm. favorite, absolute favorite episode is uh, Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. It's the one with uh, uh, one of the aliens is black on one side yes. and white on the other side. And the other one is oh. white on one side. Oh. It's yeah. so fucking good yeah. and it's so fucking relevant about yeah. the tiny things that make us different yeah. and why does that make us fight? us it's woker than you think it is this is why we are making this podcast it was because yeah. star trek has so much cultural relevance and so much cultural influence yeah and it also has this message of hope and that progressivism is a set of ideals to be cherished and yeah. to be explored <laughs> yeah obviously we love hanging out with other star trek fans yeah, and yeah. like especially the ones who see the deeper meaning behind it so i'm so happy really to well, have you here i'm chuffed to be here thank you so much so the original series episode that we did today mud's women so in this episode we find out that sometimes the Enterprise acts as highway patrol. They are chasing an unregistered ship, which then goes into an asteroid field, and they extend their shields to save the crew of that ship before the ship is destroyed, which also damages the Enterprise the Enterprise's dilithium crystals, which for some reason in this episode are lithium crystals. The crew is a guy named James Leo Walsh, who has this Irish brogue, who turns out to actually be Harry Mudd the con man. And he's with three beautiful women who like hypnotize all of the men on the ship into thinking they're the most beautiful women in the world. They very quickly, using like a lie detector computer, figure out who Harry Mudd is and that he's a con man. 
and uh, but they can't figure out why the women are having this like crazy effect on everyone. Um, Bones figures out that something is up but isn't sure what it is. It turns out that they are taking drugs that Harry Mudd is giving them in order to make them beautiful and that he is like delivering them to be brides somewhere but now they don't have their ship anymore so they need to find like new men to marry. I think he also has like some warrants out on him so like the Enterprise wants to keep a hold of him uh, to bring him somewhere else. And he's like, no, 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 I don't like the situation. So he contacts this mining planet that the Enterprise is going to to get more lithium crystals. But he contacts them first and is like, uh, I will give you these women in exchange for lithium crystals. Kirk is obviously like not OK with this because we don't traffic human beings. But like all of the people involved seem to want this outcome. Uh, so there's like a lot of dancing around like, will you please give us the lithium crystals? We don't want to sell women, but then the women want to get married. And then one of them doesn't because she like wants to be appreciated for her inner beauty. And she says a lot of like really critical stuff about women being valued for their beauty and like men being shallow or something. Um, and we kind of love her. And uh, then she ends up like marrying the awful dude on the mining colony anyway kirk takes harry mudd away to prison harry mudd protests the episode ends and it's all really fucking weird wow that was a really good summary (laughs) you really hit every point the way that i'd want to hit it what so one of the reasons i asked you the the question about how you felt about tos Mm -hmm. is because how i resolve that is I see how hard it's working to be feminist in these weird ways and then just like completely missing in others. And to me, the misogyny that sticks like while it's doing like these weird contortions is just hilarious. Like like misogyny coming from people who are trying so hard to be woke, especially this many years later when it's so obvious. I just find like so funny that it's not even offensive. It's so wonky, right? Like do either of you read Robert Heinlein? I have never, I don't think I can. The thing about Robert Heinlein, again, very woke for his time because he wrote a lot of sci-fi that is framing principles of like 60s free love in these sci-fi societies where it's like, no, people are fucking left, right, and center. It's so fun. Women are having sex. Men are having sex. It's awesome. Like men are having sex with men. Women are having sex with women. For its time, it was incredibly radical. But when you read it through a modern lens, it's like, oh my God, all of these women are like the women in this Star Trek episode where they're like, I exist to please you. And that's Uh. woke of me because I'm a lady that likes sex, but for men. But also I like sex. And so it's like, it's a similarly thorny bit of sci-fi to wrestle with. It is very ahead of its time in that imagines women as sexual beings, but because he's a man writing it and a man in that time writing it, he can only imagine kind of so far. To me, what is interesting to think about is like, what are our children gonna look gonna look at the art that we made? Be like, how could they not see this? Yeah. Right? I don't know. So we're miss we're missing something ourselves, but we are farther than any of those people are. But it's kind of how I felt about the other episode that we watched, the Next Generation episode. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, so that's that episode we watched, The Perfect Mate. I'll summarize it now. The Enterprise is facilitating a peace treaty between two worlds, Krios and Vault. They are transporting Ambassador Briam of the Creosians and his cargo to rendezvous with Ulrich, the Chancellor of the Valtese. En route, they receive a distress call from a Ferengi ship, which subsequently explodes moments after the two Ferengi crewmen are beamed aboard. It turns out that the Ferengi set up their rescue in order to gain access to the Ambassador's cargo. 
Through trying to steal it, they reveal that the cargo is in fact a woman. As she is coming out of stasis, Captain Picard walks into the cargo bay and she walks up to him and says, I am yours, Ulrich of Vault. <laughs> Flustered, he corrects her and turns to Ambassador Briem to explain what the fuck is going on. <laughs> Briam says that this woman, Kamala, is a rare female metamorph, a creosian with the genetic aptitude to meet the desires of any man she is with. She is to be a gift to and become the bride of Chancellor Ulrich. The ambassador insists that she be sequestered, and Picard, in his bafflement, accepts this. Riker escorts her to quarters, where she kisses him. The next morning, Picard is having breakfast with Dr. Crusher, who questions why it's okay for Kamala to be locked up. Meanwhile, due to some Ferengi hijinks, Ambassador Briam is rendered unconscious for the duration. This necessitates Picard spending a lot of time with Kamala, during which she tells him that a metamorph will imprint and become the ideal partner for a specific man, and he learns to play a sort of xylophone. <laughs> Finally, as he escorts her to her wedding, she tells him that he is the man she's imprinted on. Nevertheless, she marries the Chancellor, and peace is achieved. <laughs> Great summary. <laughs> Did you have any interjections? Uh, so I have one. Forgive me for not having quite enough time to research this. There is a black woman on screen for about 15 seconds. She's the transporter <laughs> technician. Oh. She says four to five words. Um, and I wanted to figure out what her name was, but I didn't get that deep in IMDb. But, you know, there's a black woman on screen cool representation i think the other intertraction is where the fuck is deanna oh yeah in this whole oh. episode it's yeah. like there's literally there an only empath be one on empath board. at a time why doesn't she get to talk to deanna so this is like my main problem with this episode why is it so fucking heteronormative we are missing out on the scene where these two mm. empaths come together right? and they don't quite know who to start reading first and then they make out why yes. didn't that happen or why does she have no female friends why doesn't crusher go there and talk crusher, to her why herself? doesn't the card send crusher to yeah, go after so after dumb. crusher is like hey isn't it fucked up that she's like sequ sequestered in her rooms right now she's a person he could have been like oh why don't you go check on her like yeah. you could say hi and give her a tour no, instead instead he's like commander data you are an android without feelings you be the one to escort this sexy lady it's around so the dumb. ship also data is the worst chaperone oh, he does such him. a bad job yeah he had one job <laughs> He's like supposed to like protect her from the men. Wait a minute! <laughs> like he's like not at all achieving no. any of the things you. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, but these two episodes, there's like women are cargo. Yeah. In both of these mm. episodes, they're being delivered to men. They're being delivered expressly for the purpose of becoming wives. They're like the help meet en route to the person that they're supposed to help. Do they get to make choices? Do they get to have personalities that are not directly related to their relationships to men? Mm -hmm. well, not no, not really. The concept of the metamorph is so bizarre. Mm. Yeah. I I object to it. I object to her character. Uh, at the same time, 
I had this eerie feeling while she was describing her behavior, how she shifts and changes to please men. Her personality reflects the person that she's in front of being like, I have done this in social situations. Mm -hmm. Like I've done this with men. And like the only thing that makes this sci-fi is that she's really, really good at it. (laughs) In, In this weird way, I was like, is this episode trying to comment on this? I'm going to say 100% no. Star Trek fans of that time in mine who are, I'm just going to swing wildly and say predominantly like males. This is the time when like it is not cool and woke to like Star Trek. It's a a punchline. To my mind, this is written and it's written by a man too. So it's written by a guy writing to these boys and men and saying, wouldn't it be cool if this was an option? Right, which is upsetting on so many levels. First of all, so this was 1992. I don't know exactly how old you are. I was one. You were one. Okay, great. I was six. We're all alive. I was six years old, and so I I was watching Star Trek at this time. I Mm -hmm. may even have seen this episode when it originally aired. Mm Mm-hmm. But I definitely remember watching it when I was a teenager, feeling like that was my personality. Totally. And we talked at dinner about how sometimes being a woman relating sci-fi, especially like big ticket sci-fi like Star Trek and Star Wars... A lot of it is through the lens of, like, how do I relate to the men in my life? Yeah, like, I 100% got back into Star Wars. So I was, like, super into Star Wars as a small toddler Mm -hmm. and then got back into it as, like, a prepubescent because I was like, this is all the dudes my class are talking (laughs) about. And I got to go rewatch this movie if I want to join in the conversation. Mm. Not knowing that it would, like, spark a great love of my life. I can't list how many times, like, I've read a comic book or Mm -hmm. listened to a CD or learned the rules of soccer so that I could have a conversation totally. like with a man. Wow. Um, yeah. I feel like this is so revealing about like why I yeah. have difficulties forming relationships with heterosexual men is because mm-hmm. I have never even tried to do that. Really? And no. Never? No, because Good. I fucking hate sports. <laughs> and it's not, I'm, this is no judgment on you. Like, no, I don't no, really I get it. I'm just like that awkward person, enough oblivious about what other people care about. Uh. <laughs> that I'm like, I'm going to love this thing. But if I had thought about liking Star Trek as a way to, <laughs> like, attract boys, mm-hmm. uh, maybe my life would be different. <laughs> But I always I mean, thought about it as a way that to like alienate, alienate myself from everybody else. I mean, it only attracts a, a certain kind of man. Uh, right. Yeah. I've um, dated a lot of them. <laughs> but, it, I, but it's one of the beautiful things about the internet is it was a way to show me like boys aren't the only people that like Star Trek and Star Wars. Yes. You know, however you react to the Disneyfication of Star Wars, it's made it a thing more people are open about liking. That's true. And Star Trek hasn't quite reached that point. I live in San Francisco and I interact with a lot of nerdy women, so I've, like, found those communities. Mm -hmm. But, like, the internet opened my eyes to, like, you are not the only girl that likes this. Mm -hmm. Boys who are telling you you are doing it wrong are wrong because there's a billion other women who are doing it the way that you like to do it. Why not we all be friends Mm -hmm. instead of you being like, I'm the only girl that likes Star Trek, so. (laughs) So it like, so like, boys come to me. One sex for me, please. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. 
my fandom for a long time was really isolated, I mm. feel like, because I didn't feel comfortable with openly fans mm-hmm. about Star Trek because they were all male. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead was, like, reading my novel, like, <laughs> like you know, the extended universe novels oh, yeah. in, my, in my bedroom and, like, not talking to anybody about it. <laughs> And Zahdi Saga for the win. Whoa. I have already come out and said that Riker is my first crush. Makes sense to me. I mean, it's also, as I've said before, explains why I'm terrible at dating. (laughs) Well, that and you're not trying to metamorph for men. I mean, come (laughs) on. Well, the metamorph thing is, like, I can pretty naturally naturally fall into this pattern which is to sit there and listen and ask questions That's to keep point. them talking i'm interested in that i like listening to people i really do but i often find myself in this kind of interaction where i have learned a lot of information about somebody else mm. and they have expressed basically no interest in Ugh. me and what's going on That's in my life really good mm-hmm. point That's what I feel like happens in this metamorph scenario Mm -hmm. where she doesn't have things to talk about. She's just a reflection of what the man that she's interacting with is. Mm -hmm. Well, she has a lot of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Like as soon as she figured out, oh, Picard likes anthropology, she's like knew some very relevant factoids that he wasn't even aware of. So it's not like she doesn't have anything to offer. It's just like not hers. It's not coming from her genuine love of Shakespeare or anthropology right. or whatever. Ooh, can we talk about how she's like a literal mirror? Like she was like literally yes. standing in a mirror. <laughs> so there's this shot where Picard is opening the door and we see her in the reflection of the mirror right next to him, but she's actually standing across the room. Yeah, it's it a pretty heavy handed uh, filmmaking, <laughs> but interesting. Yeah. I like this symbolism in that scene. I will say that when I was watching it, I didn't really clock the symbolism. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is weird framing. This is a little bit weird that she's only in the mirror right now. But I was like, oh, okay, it's explicable because <laughs> they wanted to get them both in the shot. Uh, no, she's a fucking mirror. That's yes. the yeah. whole point. Yes. The like discussion I feel like is is worth having that we haven't talked about yet mm-hmm. is the constant ignoring of the prime directive oh. is very weird and like a western without meaning to be because the people who wrote it are like western and you know colonialists colonialists yeah. yeah so the prime directive which is being like hey don't interfere constantly comes up in sci-fi where they're like but what if they're doing things different than i know how to do things whereas if this culture decided this woman was raised this way and this woman feels happy being raised this way mm-hmm. Is it unethical to say, how dare you raise this woman this way? How mm. dare you live your life this way? Don't you care? It's a worthwhile discussion to have. And I think we get we bump up against it in colonialism a lot of like, well, they're doing things wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, no, they're just doing things different. I guess everybody deserves the option to opt out. But I think so often when we have stuff written by Western colonialists, we get like, this culture is barbaric and we'll spend the whole art wrestling with that. Because I definitely think there's a very real reading of this. It's like, no, this is how she chooses to live her life. This is how she's happy. She was happy until you bugged her about it. The prime directive for me, the the like inherently anti-colonialist message behind the prime directive 
often directly conflicts with feminism. Yeah. Because there are so many cultures in Star Trek that are portrayed and on the planet Earth Mm -hmm. that are inherently sexist and rely on the perpetuation of these distinct gender roles that have women in a subservient relationship to men. You know, I want to be the rampaging woman that's like liberating women across the globe and across the universe Mm -hmm. and like telling metamorphs to... (laughs) <laughs> go live in the mountains mm. until they go through their fetus rull or whatever the yeah. fuck it is so yeah. that they decide they get to decide who they're going to be right. at and, and whatever. Like they're not mm-hmm. like imprinting on men before they get to make that decision. Mm-hmm. But it's not reality. That's not how today works. And it's not how this woman's life yeah. would have worked. Sure. Um, and it's in- yeah. ignoring the reality that there are some metamorphs or you know if you want to extend this to like colonialism like there are some muslims or there's some people in other cultures that would be fine with that and like that's under feminism as i understand it we have to have room for people who are like no this makes me happy this makes me feel close to god this makes me feel close to my culture this is how i understand being a woman to be and i feel good and sated in it. I think that's way more nuanced than anybody thought when they were writing this. At the same time, you see a lot of that tension in the way that she talks. Because I kept being like, does she have a choice in this? Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm choosing to fulfill my duty. Right. Um, This is who I am. This is who I was raised to be. This is what I'm going to do. And they're like, but who are you? And she's like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Why does that matter? And I found myself thinking about all the curious questions you asked. You wanted to know who I am. And as I continue to ask myself, the only answer that comes to me is, I am for you, Ulrich of old. And since she was four years old, like, that was what she was groomed to be. I recognize and I respect how difficult it would be for her to, like, choose differently. But in a way, she does choose differently. She, totally she chooses yes. Picard. Yes. yes. I feel like that's where her identity is. I think she knows that she's imprinting on him Mm. and she keeps asking him to stay Mm -hmm. and she keeps inviting him to hang out with her in situations that seem entirely unnecessary. Oh yeah. She's like, I really need to teach you how to play this xylophone some more. (laughs) And then it's like when Ulrich Volt shows up, he's like, oh, I don't care about the rituals. And it's like, she had to have known that she's very knowledgeable about everything else that's going on. She had to know that these rituals were not that important. At some point she says to him, like, I wish I could convey to you what it's like to be a medical. I wish I could convey to you what it's like to be a metamorph, to feel the inner strength of someone, to realize that being with him is opening your mind and heart to endless new possibilities, to hear yourself say, I like myself when I'm with him. And it's like at some point she chose that, right? I agree. The best kind of relationship to be in Mm -hmm. is where you're in a relationship with another person who brings out the best aspects of your own personality and that you do the same for them. While it's presented like she's like this very unique once in generations (laughs) woman, it's like actually anybody could be that. I just kept thinking like every woman does this. I'm pretty sure 
the, the other thing that that crossed my mind when they're the scene when they're in ten forward with like all the mm. miners, w- weird coincidence. There are yeah. just like rowdy miners in both of these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> talk about a minor inconvenience. Oh, oh, what a... <laughs> Molly bringing the puns. Oh, but but you finished yeah. your thought. Oh wait, yeah, the miners. So the they're bar. they're and like she turns into the cool chick. She totally yes. morphs. Right. Oh my like, gosh. But I was like, oh, I know this girl, I've right? It's like, girl. I, I drink beer. Like, I'm cool <laughs> with the guys. And it's like, are, am I one of you? Am I flirting? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was very recognizable. It was incredibly recognizable. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's interesting. Like, where does agency come in? Do you have agency if you're choosing this life that seems to be agency-less? It's really hard to determine, like, the way that this creature mm-hmm. is invented Mm-hmm. Is it possible for her to have agency? Right. Is it possible for her to make choices for herself? Yeah. Because it's kind of presented like that is an ability that she does not possess. Literally by nature, she will reflect whoever male person is in the room with mm-hmm. her. It's really hard to tell where choice might be. But yeah, she definitely does choose Picard. My, my like somewhat uncharitable uh, thesis of this episode is that really the whole story is Picard is the very best one. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Which happens, you know, it's true, but (laughs) but also, like, it's it's supposedly a story about this woman, like, making kind of a sacrifice for the greater good that ends up being a story about how Picard is the best one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they had to have her imprint on him, right? If they were going to have the sacrificial plot, right? Because if she imprints on Ulrich, she's not really making a sacrifice. She'll just be happy. Right. Yeah. And, (laughs) like, the tragedy of this episode is that what everyone's so concerned the whole time that she's sacrificing her happiness, that might not have happened if she hadn't imprinted on Picard. Right. Mm. If she's just in a bubble the whole time, she's completely happy, I think. Right, and my question, so in rewatching this episode, what I noticed was that Picard is in the room and prominently like positioned at the moment that she's released from her cocoon. What I recall watching this previously, I thought she had interacted with like a couple other people out of her cocoon mm-hmm. before encountering Picard, but no, he's the first he's the first man that she sees. And so it then becomes even more fuzzy, like, is she choosing him because what he wants from a woman is for to for her to be in, independent and possessing of agency and intelligent and, like, having exploration as a value, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it that he was the first person that she saw? I'm inclined to believe it's, it's the latter, and it's just... Yahtzee that he happened to be a woke bay in the deal. (laughs) She just happened to fall in love with Picard and he just happened to be a good boy. Oh, You guys, um, I have more thoughts on this episode, but this might be a good time for a break. Because I think Indy needs a break. Okay, let's give Indy a break. Welcome back. (laughs) 
Welcome back. We are now dog free. <laughs> I really want to know if even like 10% of you thinks he stayed the night. Did like the oh. card stay the night? Because she was like, just stay in here and talk to me. And he's like, okay, we're going to leave the lights on. And then they just like cut to him having breakfast with Beverly. Mm. And I'm like, what? And then when Brienne or whoever is like getting on the teleport pad, he's uh-huh. like, how could you resist her? And he doesn't say that he didn't. Oh. He just kind of is like, have a good voyage. I think that he didn't, because I think Picard is supposed to be the not Kirk. Whereas mm-hmm. Kirk, yeah. there'd be no question. Yeah. Kirk definitely would have had sex with this woman. Word. And Picard is supposed to have like all the sexual energy of Kirk, but more of the duty. With like impulse control. Yeah, right. none, of the rap- uh-huh. none of the rapaciousness, uh, impulsiveness. Picard right. is very measured. He's very yeah. focused on diplomacy. Yeah, I'm also of the opinion that they did not fuck, in part because the thesis of this episode is Picard is the very best one. Also because, I don't know, I think that as much as, like, I love Rachel Lark's song, I Want to Fuck Picard, Oh yeah. I <laughs> oh, think yeah. he's kind of on the asexual spectrum. Ooh, I don't agree. Oh, what? Don't you remember Vosh? I remember Or Vosh. that whole flute timeline where he lives oh, with that yeah. lady and they have a kid. Sure. Yeah, like two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Picard fucks. Uh, <laughs> here's a fun, right. here's a fun yeah. game. I do yeah. want to hear your asexual theory, but let me just introduce this fun game that you can now play with media you consume. Uh, I like to play this game called Do They Eat Pussy? <laughs> <laughs> and it's where you take a fictional person and you imagine whether or not they eat pussy. Because oh my God. to my mind, it, it's not necessarily standard menu offering, or at least it wasn't yeah. a lot of times when certain sci-fi was created. So it's really fun. It's fun to look at Sex in the City and think who eats pussy. For example, Aiden eats pussy. Mr. Big doesn't necessarily eat pussy. Mm. To my theory, I think Picard eats pussy. I think Picard eats pussy. I think Jordy eats pussy. I think Riker eats pussy. Mm-hmm. I think Kirk has to be asked to eat pussy. I don't think Chris... I think Chris Pine Kirk definitely eats pussy, but that might be just me projecting. Uh, well. <laughs> oh my God. Chris Pine, I'm confident. Chris, Chris Pine is yeah, like Chris Pine needs- inside of me. <laughs> 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 you have to Chris Pine oh get God. in my box Chris Pine eats ass okay <laughs> that's the name of the episode um, Chris Pine eats but I get a very like Picard will eat a pussy of a special lady vibe from this but, like, I get him like he's more like, like okay so on, if we're having this conversation I'm like I feel like Picard more readily eats pussy than oh, yeah. Bucks because or like oh. like He's just that kind of like held back kind of like servicey. Oh, do you think he's a little personality? Stone? Like he's like I'm gonna make you happy. Yes. What does a stone mean? Like 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 a like a stone butch, like oh. someone who's like I'm not gonna experience the plus. So so like in yes, like a lesbian relationship, like hundred percent. So he wouldn't be a stone butch, but he could just be a stone dude. Like I'm just, like I'm all about making I could you see that. come. I could see that. I think that's Picard. Mm-hmm. That's Because he's like, he's, he's so service oriented. Like, <laughs> as the captain of the ship, <laughs> he's all about his duty. He's all about duty. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're right. I get the vibe that he is sexual. I retract my Picard is on the asexual spectrum. <laughs> what I offer as a modification is that he's so committed to his duty as mm-hmm. the captain of the Enterprise mm-hmm. and as a diplomat, he finds it 
very difficult to yeah. let go of that in order to be sexually expressed. That and and here's something I think is fun about Star Trek and Star Wars, these big tentpole sci-fi things, is because they deal so much with sexual innuendo, but never explicitly saying, is because they're meant for like children and teenagers mm. and repressed people is it's like edging us. It's just like, oh, I can fill in the blanks so much, which is where fan fiction comes in. Yeah. I was like, it, it's uh, so, there is yeah. something so delicious about being edged that way. Okay, so before I forget, I want to talk about the metamorph's name, Kamala. This is, in my count, at least the third instance Mm. in Star Trek of a character who is either white or alien with an Indian-sounding name Mm. uh, meant to make them sound exotic. Because we Mm. also have Khan... Noonien Singh and Dr. Noonien Soong. And I think I remember reading once that Gene Roddenberry knew somebody in the army named Noonien and was like trying to find him again. He's just like, find me, my friend. <laughs> like, why don't you reach out? We'll fact check that and you can you can check our citations on our show notes page. But yeah, how do you feel about like non-European names being given to aliens? It's so dicey, right? Because it's in this day and age, it looks like cultural appropriation and like weirdsies but I feel like then it was like wow some people had never heard these names before that doesn't hold as much water in 1992 I'm realizing because there's no reason not to have been exposed Mm. to people of different races in in 1992 maybe I was applying an old Roddenberry lens to that yeah it's one part dicey and one part like oh cool good for you for not having aliens named Betty (laughs) I don't know. Is there a good way to name aliens that avoids this problem? Probably. Well, I mean, you see them try to do it with the Vulcan naming convention of like women Vulcans are T apostrophe Mm -hmm. a sound. And as a result, we kind of don't remember those people's names. They're Mm. so different from sounds we know to make names. Whereas you can remember, you know, Uhura, because it sounds like sounds that we use. They can only make up weird names so far because when you get into that sort of weird valley of like total fictional names, Mm. we stop being able to identify with those people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, but they definitely are using Indian names for the characters that are being played by white people. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, like the other names, Briam, Ulrich... These sound medieval yeah. European. Who knows? I could picture Ulrich on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, Sir Ulrich of Vault. It's yeah. like very <laughs> much like uh, who's going to be the next competitor in the jousting competition. <laughs> oh, well, man. isn't that Heath Ledger's character name in Night? Oh, it's Ulrich. 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 Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then Mud's women, they're supposed to be human, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they have very like human lady names. Like um, yeah. like English sounding lady yeah. names. Yeah. They're uh, Evie, Ruth, and Ooh. Magda. Are they all biblical names or just Eve and Ruth? Uh, Magda. I mean, Magda's name? definitely a biblical name. Well, I am not. I am not the Christianity expert on this podcast, but the, the Magdalene. Oh is yeah, like it's a good Jesus's prostitute lady, right? Yeah. yeah, I know things about the New <laughs> Testament. Yeah. It's, yeah, she's a sex worker bestie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, something about foot washing. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Two Jews and an I don't know your... 
I know I, I've seen Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, okay, before we before we move on to to Mud's women, is there anything we missed? The dolphins. <gasps> the dolphins. <laughs> oh yeah, there are dolphins. Okay, so so far we know that there's a natural history museum on the on the Enterprise. NCC seventeen oh one D. Apparently, also some dolphins. <laughs> so like we we know this because they said it to the Frangies uh, to, to yeah. like, distract them. Like, come uh. look at the dolphins. My guys. And uh, <laughs> Molly, what did you learn about okay, the dolphins? So I have been fascinated by this. One of my favorite Star Trek movies is Voyage Home, which, you know, revolves around stealing cephalopods to talk to aliens. So <laughs> my, initial re- <laughs> my initial reaction is like, oh, must be more of that shit. Dolphins get referenced obliquely in uh, Next Generation a bunch and never explained. Never explained. So I looked up the memory alpha and they have like three theories. One, they're part of this thing called cetacean ops, which is where you use those cetaceans to talk to other species. Or B, there are crew members who are dolphins who uh, just need special accommodations and live on the ship that way. We never see them. We never interact with them, but they are there. I mean, <laughs> dolphins are very smart. And then you brought up the great point that it's like a Douglas Adams yes, nod, yeah, which yeah. I think is very good. Yeah, so, so long and thanks for all the fish. The answer is there's no answer. They're either crew members or cargo or like a communication tool, but they're fucking on the Enterprise. They're just yeah. there floating around, which is as ethical as the like little aquarium that Picard has. So you know, <laughs> wrestle with that, PETA. Also, do the dolphins eat pussy? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is known about dolphin pussy. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry though. for yeah. bringing the lo- that level of discourse on no, it's, it's, it's love. It, oh, it's, it's perfect. Great. So, I don't know that there's a good transition from dolphins to mud's <laughs> women, but at least they are very sparkly and yeah. like mm, sleek. Beautiful so. <laughs> it's, it's very like Vegas nightclub on the transporter circles pads mm-hmm. the transporters the transporter pads like posing like they're in a sears catalog mm-hmm. or like about to be in a girl group they're all just like striking a pose and it's very wonderful so now listen i know that we are like feminists we have a high level of intelligent discourse yada 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 yada, yada. which dress was your favorite <laughs> very good question i have so many feelings about these dresses so one of the things that confuses me uh-huh. is that there's two that are like definitely have a piece the green one and the pink one, Evie and Ruth. Uh And then Magda, who has way fewer lines than the other two women, has like a totally different style dress. Did you just miss the boat when these other two women were like going to their David's Bridal equivalent and getting their sequin dresses that were like made to match? Let's see. If I were choosing between these three, definitely not the purple one. Oh, this is interesting because I'm 100% pro purple. Really? Was the purple one Magda? Yeah. It's a short one with like the one one sleeve. The accent sleeve, as it were. I really actually like Evie's, the pink sequin Mm, one. I love the way that the slit has like these gaps mm-hmm. and then it, and then it's pinned together so it's like you see like glimpses of leg but it's there for the whole leg i also really like ruth's dress the green one with the slit that goes like, like see, across that's, that's the one i want to wear i oh. was all about that like weird asymmetrical slit mm. um i'm i'm always into asymmetrical things not necessarily in the into the color i still wanted to wear the pink sequins but i was mm. like that is bizarre the costumes are good 
TOS costumes are so good. The original series has a flamboyance yeah. and a psychedelia that none of the other tracks have. Right. Like I was, I was really noticing in this episode the color of the walls. Like there's mm. this really beautiful shot that's just Kirk. The wall behind him is purple, mm-hmm. and just like the way that the light hits him, the way that the shadows are happening on the wall—I don't know—it was beautiful. It was very star- it was like a very simple yeah. background, but at the same time, the colors. Like nobody's making a purple background no. anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's all—it's yeah. glossy white or black yeah. or like yeah, navy dark. blue. Yeah, and yeah. there's no there's like. Yeah, well, nobody's on acid anymore. God damn it! Our sci-fi palettes have shifted so much. So like a Star Wars sci-fi palette is so beiges and whites and blacks and reds. Star Trek from day one has been bright ass jewel tones, all these bright colors, and mm-hmm. it's that's why I think sometimes it feels dated because we're raised to believe like technology, you know, like Apple and all these things. They're white. They're plain. They're they're monochrome. Mm-hmm. And then we come from this, if you're in the 60s and 70s, imagining the future, you're imagining more colors mm-hmm. and like brighter colors. And it's mm-hmm. just such an interesting shift in how we thought of sci-fi. And even looking at the palette of Discovery sort of negates all of the colorfulness of, of Star Trek because it's in 2019. Yeah, it's just, it's a sensibility yeah. and it like, I don't know, I'm... I'm is that the petition that we, we should send to CBS? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, bring back color. More colors, please. In all this talk about great costumes, though, we would be remiss if we mentioned the horrendously shitty costume of Harry Mudd in this episode. Yeah. So my read on it is they're like, fuck, we don't know what costumes space people wear. What if they were just Party City costumes? Because <laughs> this is like very much like a... Party City meets Ron Swanson's phoning it in pirate costume <laughs> on a spaceman. If Ron Swanson ever put on a costume, it would be this. Like, he would pull it off because he's Ron Swanson. Yeah. I kind of love his tunic with the massive sleeves. He's got too many gigas on his belt. <laughs> hi, hi, CBS. One note, too many gigas. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> That's how you say too many gigas in Husky. He does have a little what bit. Is but... a, what is a what? What's a giga? Yeah, what are you talking What? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Uh, it's just like an like embellishment and then like an unnecessary item oh, okay. that adds visual interest. <laughs> yeah, okay. a giga. Right. Your standard giga. <laughs> Uh, you know? Clearly. <laughs> I'm like, what is the, how does the, I've never tried to uh, yeah, show define me. this. Oh, a yes. showy thing, especially that is useless or worthless. <laughs> okay, so this is not a technical term. No, I'm like, no, what no, part no, of the no, belt no, no, is no. that? Now, if you're wondering, Harry Mudd deaf eats pussy. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> Controversial opinion. Harry Mudd eats pussy. No, I think Harry Mudd eats pussy like on the first date. <laughs> oh, never again. No, like, never again. Yes, the correct. <laughs> Wow, that feels like really out. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. It is canon now. Yeah. But um, on the subject of costumes, Uhura in this episode is wearing gold. She's also like barely in it. They're like, we've got too many other women. Maybe well, they hadn't decided how the uniform shook, shook out. I mean, I, there's a lot of that going on in this episode. Like mm-hmm. they also say lithium crystals instead of dilithium yes. crystals. Yes. And they show it. 
Yeah. yeah. They were yeah. like, look at how beautiful this crystal used to be oh, uh, before we no, destroyed it. Because this we crystal's had to... a metaphor for the women because he's no like, because it's broken mm-hmm. and uh, like Fuck. charred. He's like, but even this, you know, used broken charred crystal is like still beautiful. That's like leading into the scene <sighs> where she loses her beauty and is like having that weird argument <sighs> with, the, with the dude as though they've been married for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so smart. I didn't clock that. English major. <laughs> <laughs> this is the skill I learned. I went to college for this. This is not really related to no, the, the metaphor of the crystal, but the three women get transported onto the Enterprise after Mud, who mm. at that time is going by Leo Walsh, whatever, and putting on an <laughs> sure. Irish accent. We have a friend. Don't uh, think about it too much. A friend of ours came to the um, viewing of the motion picture party that we did, and he proposes a theory that um, Star Trek believes that all pimps are Irish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's that. Thank you, Mark. Everybody is totally incredulous that these women could possibly be crew. They're like, wait, is this your crew? And he's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. You don't have to expand your mind that women could potentially women be... Wearing women wearing dresses that are sparkly could potentially be crew members. Which is a silly premise even for Star Trek because, like, Uhura is right fucking She's there. right there. Like, and it's a plot point in so many episodes that Uhura is super beautiful. And, like, human Rand is beautiful, and Nurse Chapel is beautiful. Like, it seems so weird to me that they would even float the premise of, like, what? A beautiful woman in a crew? Well, I never. At one point, I think it's Bones who asks, but are these really the most beautiful women you've ever seen? Like, even more beautiful than any others that you've ever seen. They're trying mm-hmm. to figure out why these women are particularly very appealing. I think the episode struggles with showing rather than telling that mm-hmm. they are very mm-hmm. alluring mm-hmm. to the crew. I think it does a lot of telling. Right. But the showing that it does is like Vaseline on the lens mm-hmm. while we play some beautiful music yeah. with harps. Mm-hmm. Which is like whatever. I don't know that it's either here or there, but they're trying to tell the story about a drug. That makes people the most attractive versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that it succeeds at that. Yeah, they do a lot of like the boy-yoing like shots Mm -hmm. of everybody in the crew reacting. But I think you're right. There is a little bit of a disconnect. Then what they do in order to demonstrate that these women aren't actually that beautiful is to like take (sighs) off their makeup. That's like all it is, and that's why it's extra baffling at the end, where it's like, you had it within you the whole time. It's like, god damn, she could put on her makeup that fast this whole time? It's like, like she could put what on her happened? makeup just by thinking about it? That's <laughs> worth looking into. The sort of Dumbo's feather ending of this is like, they didn't need a dining at all. They were just beautiful this whole time. It's like, really? Because she changed on a dime. The premise is basically that women who don't wear makeup are hideous? Yeah, because None of those ladies were hideous, especially old purple dress was like just the same, but tired looking. (laughs) (laughs) Her hair was like slightly disheveled. Ruth, the brunette, in the scene where she has like run out of the drug and she's fiending for more, her face is kind of wrinkly and Uh melty looking. Oh, and her hair is slightly greasy. Yeah. So basically she needs like a shower, (laughs) some moisturizer, and she'll be fine. The 
premise of the episode is a bit confusing to me. They're traveling with Harcourt Fenton Mud mm-hmm. in order to be delivered to their husbands. Right. Whom they've never met. Because they come from a, a planet with no men, so they're on the prowl. They wind up being content with becoming the three wives of the three men who are miners on this dilithium yeah. planet. Oh, excuse me, this lithium planet. Oh, please. <laughs> which which is, you know, sort of leads us back to our initial conversation about agency. Like, is it agency if they're just like, eh, might as well. Our feminism has to extend to include people like that, I guess. Yeah. But it is like a little like... <laughs> It's especially upsetting that all of those miners are like, hey, she's not as pretty as I thought. was like, really? Because you all look like garbage. So how dare you? How very dare you? Oh, we haven't seen a woman in three years, but ugh, gross. Yeah, not this one. Put your face on before you come through, whatever. Oh man, it makes me so sad. Also, he gets mad at her for like cooking. He's like, oh, well, don't think you're going to win me over with your feminine wiles. I cook for myself, bitch. And it's like, I don't, I can't, is that progressive? I think we're supposed to find that, like, very charming that they're, like, fighting each other. That scene is so amazing to me. It feels, like, very surreal and, like, I sort of walked into a really old art student kind of play or something. It is. Because he just rescued her, right? And then they're in his kitchen And suddenly they're having these fights as though they've been married for like 20 years. (laughs) And he's like, I don't like your food. I know how to cook. And she's like, I don't care if you know how to cook. I cooked this. And he's like, how do you wash a pot? And she's like, I'll tell you how to wash a pot. And it's like, what? What is happening? Like, he literally just rescued. Like, why is she cooking for him? Like, what? He actually, he's like, there's no water on this planet. Do you see any water? Like, how are you going to wash this pot? And she's like, hang it outside and the sand will like blow it clean. Genius. He's like, oh, yeah, this is actually a good idea. And he goes and does it. And he comes back in. In the intervening time, like, her weird (laughs) Venus drug is worn off. And so, like, all of her makeup is gone. And she's aged, like, 10 years. And that's somehow devastating. I don't think she looks that different. She doesn't look that different. She doesn't. Yeah, like, her hair is down. Her eyes are unlined. And he's like, what's this monster? Her (laughs) eyes have been sold me. But so she she morphs in, like, those 30 seconds Mm -hmm. when he was hanging up the pots. And he's like, whatever happened to your look? anyway like what felt like two people who've been married for 50 years and they're looking at each other being like i can't stand another second with you Mm -hmm. and they've just met (laughs) and then kirk and mud show up and like explain the situation to him and then she gets her confidence back and it's like now that he understands the situation and understands that she can be beautiful with a placebo pill he's like she can stay we have a lot to talk about and i'm like do you you seem like you hate each other it's so dumb because the whole end of the scene is she's like, is this what you want? This beautiful woman with nothing to say? And Kirk is like, actually, you could have both. I feel like that minor <laughs> is under the one of these tropes that you can be beautiful or you can be useful, but you right. cannot be both. Right. Mm-hmm. And that like maybe he wanted the beautiful, useless person and not the one who was going to cook him breakfast. Is he mad at her for cooking? It seems like he's mad at her for cooking. The vibe I get is that no girl's allowed. And she already kind of has rebuffed him at the party. So he's like inclined not to like her, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then she starts putting her 
woman shit all over the place, making him put the seat down, fucking making him <laughs> hang his pots up. It's yeah. very like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? He wanted to stay in his man cave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in this... yeah he's like, he's like, you can live here and be pretty, but like, you're not going to fix my house. Like, yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Calm down, sweet cheeks. I just can't get over that the resolution of this is these women choose to become the three wives mm-hmm. to the three minors. And then they're going to be the only six people on this <laughs> dusty, windy-ass yeah. planet. It's like the worst version of Burning Man. <laughs> they could have asked for asylum. It's really presented like they left their homes mm-hmm. because they had no opportunity but the only opportunity they could see for themselves was to become the yeah. wife of some man. It's just that they didn't have enough men around at home. Yeah, I feel like Evie shows up already fed up with men's bullshit. She's talking about how shitty her brothers are, her dad, and like the men on her planet. Like, I, I feel like the other two women were like, yes, Harry Mud, find me a husband, and I don't know why she's there. The thing I find striking about this is my friend who's an author, Maggie Ellison, she's like a really great sci-fi author. She wrote the Road to Nowhere series, which everyone should check out. It's a great, great, great contemporary dystopian sci-fi that features a lot of queer characters, a lot of non-binary characters. She said something that frustrates her so much about sci-fi, especially men written sci-fi, is she goes, they all imagine the future. It's just so frustrating that they keep imagining the same kind of future. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this episode written in 1960-something and the episode of TNG written in 1999, both written by... 1992, both written by men. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing! I mean, I... Yeah. I, I would even say that, like, the, the 1967 episode is woker. Yeah. Because at least it has, like, this critique of they have this like internalized male gaze these three Mm -hmm. women like they they view their value that way Mm -hmm. but then their evie is trying to see a different way like i don't think she comes up with one but she's (laughs) she's she's trying whereas Mm -hmm. like kamala Kamala is is like like she's just like she's totally bought in no she's 100 percent on board at at one point so the women have been like deprived of the venus drug for a Mm -hmm. little too long and their makeup falls off (laughs) And they're then, like and just scratching their They're arms. just, they're just me, like me between Ipsy boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like you, and I'm not very happy with myself either. Well, I'm not really surprised. I've seen you noticing the captain. We're supposed to notice them. Take it. It's not a cheat. It's a miracle. For some man who can appreciate it and who needs it. And so even then, when they are supposedly doing this kind of for themselves, like they're seeking a better life for themselves, Mm -hmm. the way that they look is not about how they feel about how they look. It's Mm -hmm. about how they will be perceived by men. Yes. 
Yeah, but for at least two of them, that is one is like that is like collapsed into yeah. the same. They're like, I hate when I'm this way. Yeah. Not to diminish what you said, like I completely agree with what you said, mm-hmm. but it's like for two of them, it's like their view of themselves and men's view of them is the same. The same. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just yeah. really wonder like what this means about like the economy and like parts of the galaxy Whoa. that aren't ruled by the Federation. Mm-hmm. Like, are these women hundred percent dependent on men? Why do the miners want money? Like, why are they trading for crystals like I thought we were in gay space communism <laughs> my like head canon is just like they're in like parts of the galaxy that intersect with the federation but like other shit is going on yeah. and like they are not fully in the 22nd no, century no that's really real the enterprise trades three women for six lithium yeah. crystals yeah let's get right to business you want lithium crystals and we've got them fine I'm authorized to pay an equitable price we're not sure they're for sale, Captain. We might prefer a swap. What did you have in mind? Mud's women. If we like them, we'd like to have a look at them first, of course. Right. Try them off, Captain. Oh, and Harry Mud. Either way, I've agreed to have him released. Charges dropped. I feel like Kirk's okay with it as long as he can, like get Harry Mudd arrested later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, a, he's, I mean... He's a rapscallion, I'll ex- tell you that much. <laughs> he's a too many giga having rapscallion <laughs> who definitely eats pussy. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I think yeah. you're right. It's the same future. The women are still cargo. Mm-hmm. The women are still being given to men. Uh, they, they still have some weird-ass, like, hypnotic effect it's on the It's so heteronormative. Women exist to please men, and they are objects involved in transactions. Mm -hmm. Mud's women are exchanged for crystals, (laughs) and Kamala, the metamorph, is exchanged for a peace treaty. They are people who are choosing to act as objects. Exactly. And choice is dubious if you think that's your only option. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you know. I wouldn't live on that fucking dust planet. Nor would I. I. I might become a like a weird princess. The person whose return arc I would write would not be Harry Mudds. It would be Evie, who's like, they encounter her later, and she's like, yeah, I left those suckers in my dust, like, literally on the planet. Now I'm this crazy space warlord mm. out to get mine. Like, leave me alone. Hell the fuck, yeah. I would yeah. 100% <laughs> Which, watch that. Again, she has, like, all the lithium crystals. Yes. I'm so glad we talked about yeah. these two episodes. Thank you so much, Molly, for coming Thank on. Thank you for having me. All right, yeah. everybody, check out Red All Over. Yeah. Yes, please do. Oh, and I have to give a shout out to my boyfriend Mitch, who is a huge Star Trek fan, and he also wanted me to mention Aaron Eisenberg, who plays <gasps> Nog in Deep Space Nine. So oh, R.I.P. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. yeah, Aaron Eisenberg was like really involved in the fandom. And from what I can tell, seemed like a really good guy. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kafka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. Tell us what you think. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. 
Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. If you want to donate to us, you can do so at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That's fempire spelled F-E-M-P-I-R-E. I'm sorry. I'm going to kick them out. Okay. We have yeah. a lot of animal activity yeah. in this room right now. There's dogs and kittens. Yeah, and if, if you want, we can, we can post a photo on our Instagram <laughs> or on our show notes for this episode. But <laughs> we're being visited by, by my husky right now. Hi, Indiana. Um, so. Indiana. How yeah. hot is Spock this episode, though? I, I think feel this like is. He doesn't do a lot in this episode. Oh my god, he should get a smirk Emmy for smirking alone. Oh my god, I cannot wait for the day we have a super horny female captain. That is my yes. dream project. For oh, that, I mean, when Tilly becomes captain, and that's all.